Welcome to And Almost Starring, the show where each week we take a film and break down the casting, including who almost starred. I'm Jeff Ronan. I'm Amy Jo Jackson. And he's just a happy camper, rocking and a rolling. We're looking at American Psycho. Joe, how are you doing today? American Psycho, get, <laughs> get away, away from, from me. <laughs> Pretty good, Jeff. How are you? <laughs> that, that I know he's extolling the virtues of Huey Lewis and Whitney, but um, we should have gotten a little American come woman on. and uh, rewritten the lyrics. Would be a great theme song to come this Come on, come on, come on. I'm doing well myself over here. We're in week. Of our month of spooky, scary movies, and we have a fun little most wonderful time (laughs) of the year. (laughs) Fun little uh, horror comedy, black comedy satire uh, with us today with American Psycho. Uh, Listener, as always, don't forget to subscribe wherever you can. Write a review. Leave a review. Five (laughs) stars, please. Leave a review, or we will haunt you. Tell a friend. uh, And of course, be sure to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash and almost starring. Hours of content await you from the previous months, and this month includes a full length episode on Adam's Family Values, which is arguably one of the best films ever. Very true, very true. But right now, we're not talking Adam's Family Values, we're talking American Psycho, which came out on April 14th, 2000, and was directed by Mary Heron and written by Mary Heron and Guinevere Turner. Amy Jo, what is your experience with American Psycho? Had you seen it before? I sure had, Jeff. Um, I saw this a lot. This was one that was on in our rotation in college a lot, but I don't think I've seen it since college. And I didn't realize it was like a 2000 movie. I think, I mean, obviously I know like the book was written certainly about the eighties, but I think in the eighties, I think, um, I want to say it came out like in 1990, 1990, but like really a direct, yeah, I'll look that up right now. But, but the point is like, I thought it was like a little, I didn't realize it was quite so recent. You know, Christian Bale's one of those people. I'm like, I can't tell how old you are, my guy. It's um, wild that it's like, he's supposed to be 27. And then you're like, wait, he was about 27 when yeah. he made this? Yeah. The guy's he been looks like a grown, around. grown A suit man. will do a lot for you. Um, and True. a strong skincare routine. Strong skincare routine um, and the hair. The hair, all of it. But, but my haircut is a little bit nicer. Just even though they go to the same barber, it's great. Let me see. This novel came To be fair, out. his hair was a bit nicer than the other guy that he gets for mistaken sure. for. All right. I don't need the entire Brett Easton Ellis situation. I just want to know when it came out. 1991. A direct segue from uh, the heady times of the 1980s New York City. <laughs> and just enough removed when making this film. Oh, yeah. They were trying to, you know, make it pretty much... Right off the jump, it was like such a shocking book that really oh, yeah. did capture the minds of America for better and worse of, of people that were very scandalized and disgusted by the contents of the book and the people that were like, yes, but it's also a 
satire and trying to strike that balance. But I think, which I think comes. Well, I haven't read the book, so I can't right, speak same, to it. Same, but same, I same. do think that. But I've that read some point of, the differences. of view. Oh, I'm sure that point of view comes across extremely clearly in the movie. I right. think in part because it's the screenplay is co-written by two women. Like, Absolutely, I think that that extra like lens through which we're seeing it really does help us to like uh, we're invested in his story but we're not uh we're seeing what i think the point of view that they're trying to make is insofar as like him peeling a face mask off within the first five minutes of the movie you know while a monologue is playing in vo yeah you know it, it's oh, giving, and then ending with like shots of reagan you know like i think right. we're getting a clear point of view at least from the filmmakers 100 percent, and i think by having the film come out a decade almost a decade mm -hmm. after it was written it gives you enough of that hindsight to be able to purposefully this is a period piece yeah uh within the late 80s and i like that it's like very 80s but not they're not lampooning the 80s insofar as the fashions go and everything they're like leaning you do the one guy that looks exactly like he's singing for the cure 100 <laughs> percent, but only one guy you know and this then like like reese witherspoon has like every that time they're weird... in that every time they're in that nightclub there's the like the, sure. the club kids going around for I'm sure like, eh. but they're not but they're not yeah. you don't have like a ton of people in shoulder pads up to their ears you know you don't have unfortunately you don't true. have full melanie griffith hair you know we're oh, not getting like only, yeah Re reese witherspoon has a bit of a bump she's, she's got Bit of a, She's bit giving of Catherine O'Hara and waiting for Guffman slightly. <laughs> she really mm -hmm. is, uh, but not quite giving you the Beetle Catherine O'Hara and Beetlejuice. Correct. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so spoilers ahead. If you haven't seen American Psycho, you haven't seen it in a while. Here's a briefish synopsis. As we said, we are fully set in the 80s. We're 1987. We meet Patrick Bateman, a young and wealthy New York City investment banker who spends most of his time dining at popular restaurants while keeping up appearances for his fiancée, Evelyn Williams, and his circle of wealthy associates, most of whom he completely despises. Uh, and we are... Not that the film is plotless. Our, ma our main kind of plot, because we... I mean, we see him very early in the film stab a homeless man to death and kick... The man's dog to death. Uh, Reggie Cathy. Reggie, the wire and Emmy winner for House of Cards, Reggie Cathy. Mm -hmm. R.I.P. Uh, yes. Always a delight seeing Reggie yeah. Cathy popping up in, in films and TV. Uh, but because we both have also seen the musical of American Psycho. Yes. And that was like, what, like 2016 that we saw that? Yeah. And I hadn't seen, so I haven't seen this film since probably like 2005, 2004. Probably same. On same TV. for me. However, I saw it like I said, a lot in college. Same. So this is one that I was like, all right, I'm having murky memories about what actually happens next. But I remembered so right. much of the major set pieces and the, the essence. Right. I didn't mention that. I, I had also seen this. Uh, this was playing on HBO all the ding dang oh, time. Sure. So I watched this a bunch in high school maybe once with my dad no i know but i if not with my dad i remember that my dad rented uh, american psycho too uh and from what i recall he uh did not care for it well not which all. is just a film Sequels with mila kunis equal. that i think they kind of retroactively was like let's make this a sequel to american psycho very loosely huh i think she's like a phone call with patrick bateman that you huh. don't see or hear him on the other line or if you do it's certainly not christian bale <laughs> the less said the better mila kunis apparently is like this is an embarrassment of a film american psycho dose mm. uh but in the musical 
I mean, everyone knows about the iconic hip to be square scene in the film. If, any, if nothing else, you know about this. You know, Christian yeah. Bale is dan- dancing and monologuing about Huey Lewis in the news and then takes an axe to Jerry Leto. And I will say, I did not Best know, use of know Jerry that Lito? was him. <laughs> um, I remember seeing his name in the credits and uh, then forgetting he was yeah. in this movie and then watching that scene being like who's this actor <laughs> and then it wasn't until who's much later i was like oh was that jared leto as people have said we're getting uh films arguably best batman taking an axe to films arguably <laughs> worst joker <laughs> which is That's pretty good. beautiful if you think about I it do. uh but in the musical that is like the end of act one because it is such an and this is minute 30 that this happens in the film and i was thinking a lot about the musical while watching this you know we saw it once and we saw it in previews so i know that a lot yeah. was changing if we had friends in it who were like yes new pages all the time <laughs> i get the impulse watching this to musicalize it because of the theatricality of these like gore sequences. Like I, I, and, and all the club sequences I was watching going, I understand how someone thought this could be a good idea, but by nature of him being, you know, a psychopath and the necessary disconnection from his own humanity that that affords him. And the character explicitly states that like, that's hard to sing from. You know, there's something singing that inherently connects us to like humanity, especially then in the conventions of musical theater, which is why often villains yeah. will only have a song or two, you know, like an, an I know he's like an antihero in the context of like the the not even antihero. I mean, he's, you know, but I, I was just watching it going, I see why you thought this and I don't think it makes sense to do it upon reflection, just seeing like what does the form do well and how can yeah. the form help you? And I think the stuff that like, you know, when we, things are so emotional, we can't help but sing. It's like this is someone who has no way of expressing himself except in violence. And that is not I thought the best sequence in the musical was the hip to square sequence where they just used the actual song and nobody sang it. Right. You know, right. because like you're pretty he, much just doing the scene as is. In the exactly. Musical. You know, and, so, and very enthusiastically, both of them dancing to hip to be square yeah. before it goes full. Yeah. I, I will say that my no my, my actual favorite sequence in the musical was there was a number about the business cards, which mm. was cynical yeah. and de- it like fit the exact tone of the film exactly. And I thought that hit really hard. But like yeah. so much of it, I was like, this isn't about him like building up right. to killing it's, Paul it's Allen. Tricky. This is like, no, no, and no, so no. that means it's not going to fit a nice musical two act structure. Right. It does. Uh, there are elements of the musical that I did really like, and it did. Sure. Cause I like saw some of the performances online before, and it was a thing that needed to be experienced in person because of how much like the synth, how much like the, yeah. the, the feeling of the music, the way that they had like their like sound design. And um, it's Duncan Sheik. So it also like, yes, plays, spring awakening. Yeah, Duncan yeah. Sheik. I j- the one, the, well, the one thing I do remember from the musical that I really liked was near the end when he is now just, we're now kind of breaking from realism because we're going from like on stage, you can just go scene to scene within like he can turn and now here's someone else entering and now we're in the middle yeah. of a different scene. But he is still just in his underwear, completely covered in blood. And I remember the, when you have Gene at one point, just like, are you OK, Patrick? And he's just there in his yeah, tidy whities covered in blood. And he's just like, of course, what do you mean? And it's hilarious. So like then the stuff like that, that you can highlight even further than the like paranoia in the film of like mm-hmm. what is real what is not that we kind of eventually get to uh that on stage is that much funnier by seeing it 
immediately juxtaposed. Right, and because we accept certain things in a theatrical context where we're like, well, yeah, there's a physical body in front of me. You can't cut and immediately not be covered in blood. Right, but as with anything, it's hard to adapt something not meant to be for the stage into a two-act structure where you kind of by nature of the thing are like, okay, well, clearly our act break has to be hip to be square. I get all the choices in the decision-making process, but I don't think it ultimately for me anyway, worked. Right. No, I I 100% hear you. But as far as our film goes, uh, this is really our break into act two is killing Paul Allen, uh, which he mainly kills Paul Allen because Paul Allen has, uh, is always able to get a reservation at Dorcia and keeps mistaking Patrick Bateman for someone else and is talking crap about Patrick to him. That like, oh, he's such a loser. Other people do this. And here was one of my questions. If we are meant to believe from Reese Mithers- Reese Witherspoon <laughs> Reese Witherspoon's mouth um, that his father practically owns the company, so his father's Weird a higher up. Line, our only line about Patrick, which would parents. explain why he does like no work, but also yeah. none of the guys seem to do any work. Well, you know, yeah, you would think people would be forgetting him less. Either they'd be more sycophantic and like whatever behind his back, but no one seems to know who he is. And it's like if his dad is one of the like big guys at the top of the company you'd think people would be playing that more uh actively you know yeah i'm not too bothered i mean with this film it's like the details like that true, true, true. i it, they wash over me because i'm like because of how much i'm learning how much of this is real how much isn't For sure. and how much is just the satire of all these guys just blend together whether or not yeah that's very true. they all actually do it's like within the feel of the all film. their business cards no exactly even, the same yes. them all like yeah. all so man what a great scene it's so good the them way that unsheathing these like, cards like they're they're drawing pistols at an old west saloon but it's you know yeah oh look at that font the color is bone the lettering is subtly offset i mean and like how good is that of course his color that he picks would be bone oh, you know like he kills paul allen and now old detective kimball old willie defoe is nosing around uh trying to find out what happened to old jared leto and as we go yeah we see patrick bateman picking up sex workers uh terrorizing them okay sometimes murdering them uh as he kind of starts to devolve into the paranoia as he realizes is like People now are saying that they they were with Paul like just last week in London. Yeah. And he doesn't know what's real anymore. He as he's pretty much completely like losing all grip on himself and his sanity. Uh, he almost kills Jean. He invites her over. Chloe Seven. Oh, Chloe Seven. Yeah, his secretary. Uh, holding a nail gun to her, but uh, desists after he gets a message from Reese Witherspoon on the answering machine. Uh, and she's like, I'm always getting involved with unavailable men. Um, and he's like, I think you should go. Like, he does the first, like, yeah. human thing in the whole movie, yeah. which is, like, recognizes I should let this person go. It's like, I don't think I can control myself. And she's reading it as like, oh, yeah, like, I'll get in the middle of something. He's like, I think if you stay, something bad will happen. I think I'll hurt you. You don't want to get hurt, dude. She's like, I don't want to get bruised. It's like, baby cakes. <laughs> You're going to get a lot Scoot. more than bruised. <laughs> Skadoot. <laughs> Skadooly. You're already bruised here. from all the comments he's made about you wearing heels or not. Right. Get out of there. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 
Uh, and then our film ends with he goes on a full rampage. ATM tells him to feed it a stray cat. He shoots one woman. He gets into a shootout with the police where the car. It's such a great shot so where funny. the cop car just blows up from him shooting it a few times. And he looks at the gun in his hand like, well, that doesn't seem right. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and he makes he calls his lawyer, Harold, and makes this big confession claiming to have killed 20, maybe 40 in people. This great. Pretty much one shot. Yeah. Yeah. He. uh it took about 15 takes because the director felt that Bale's acting kept getting better as he became more flushed. Sure. So they just kept like. Well, and like also he's like so sweaty. All that kind of, like yeah. do, the kind of torture of having to do that a million times actually would make that sort of scene a bit better, you know? Yeah. And the following morning, he goes back to Paul Allen's apartment to clean up the remains because that's the, like the last scene we had. Full here, of this woman going, yeah, out here in this closet, a bunch of dead bodies. In, in the fridge, there's a severed head, but he goes and it's uh, vacant and for sale. And the realtor tells him that the apartment does not belong to Paul Allen before ordering Patrick Bateman to leave. And we end the film with him going to lunch with his friends. And this this actress, this performance of, of this realtor yeah. is so great because I think she rides the line really well where you're you can map a lot onto her. Yeah. Right. Because she's she's basically like, I want this person who doesn't belong here to get out. And I'm suspicious of this guy. But you can also like map it as like she knows like there was horrible stuff in this apartment before they came in and painted over it. Like like if you're trying to read what how he's interpreting her. You know? Sir, I don't care if you're a murderer. I'm in New York real estate. And if you think I'm not going to sell this freaking apartment, <laughs> no, the you've way, got another thing coming. The way guy. you're like delivering that line right now has a kind of like listen bud element but she's just very she gets very like animal in the wild kind of like you better get out of here kind of more like a hostile hostage negotiator kind of thing you know and but i think it's like so interesting because tonally you're like i'm not sure what that's about but neither is he which is why i think it's a really it straddles the line really because we're still not sure what reality we're in at this point it really plays into it well along with everything that christian bale is doing to like make you feel anything for him at the end of this which is really just kind of a sense just feeling he's pathetic Mm -hmm. in like these last few minutes i love that shot where it's they're all kind of looking up at at the tv and reagan's talking and we cut back to christian bale and it's not it's not the final like one that zooms in for the Mm close-up but he's like sitting there and there's like a sconce on one side of his head and the other there's like a door behind him and it has a little card on it that reads this is not an exit yeah like right by his head and something about that is just like yeah there's there's no way out of this. Like right, this right. is this is like you feel like you've had an escape, but it's not actually a way. Like I don't know. It was just like such a good like. That's <clears throat> either the last line of the book, or this is not an exit. Yeah, or it's like the last the name of the last chapter of the book. I forget which, but it is like directly referencing that referencing something in the book. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, cool. and I think it's the name of the last song in the musical. So Bateman here at this lunch he sees his lawyer and the lawyer was like hilarious prank not no Patrick he's like Bateman. oh was that you right. it was you yes but davis the, or right is thinking mistaking him for someone else thinking that he's pretending to confess as patrick bateman but also he's the one that's like no 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 i had lunch twice last week with paul allen in london in in london which right. is what where christian bale as as bateman like leaves a message like an outgoing answering machine message thing purporting to send him to London as like a cover. Yeah, after killing Paul Allen, he goes to his place. He packs a, f- a suitcase as if he's going traveling and then just changes the vo- the outgoing message, uh, doing a, a pretty great 
Jared Leto impression, uh, which is not that different from the Patrick Bateman no, voice, no. but it's just enough. They all kind of talk the same. <laughs> is that a raincoat? <laughs> yes, it is, Paul. <laughs> uh, and we end with Bateman unsure if his crimes were imaginary or real and realizing he will never receive the punishment that he desires. And Boom, into your credits of this wild, wild film. So initial thoughts, Amy Joe. we've been chatting about the film, but anything off the top of your head, revisiting this movie for the first time in a, in a while. Yeah, it's, with me. it's so good. It's Christian Bale. I would never have thought of him for hard satire. Yeah. I never would have. He would not have occurred to me, but he absolutely nails it. Like just you know, how far they're all leaning into it while still remaining in this, like in like the dark tone of it is it's really impressive. And he's just, he's so funny. He's scary. Let's cool it with the anti-Semitic remarks. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. I really enjoy it. It's very like beautifully shot. It's, I mean, you know, it's very violent, but it also you know, has a point of view about what the violence is for. Absolutely. And it it was funny to revisit it. And I know that, uh, I mean, forget just the differences that they made between the what's in the book and for the movie. Um, but I know, I don't think it was for the violence, though. I think it was for the threesome that they were originally slapped with an NC-17 rating. that They had to make sure. just some trims to the sex scene, but not for the violence. But revisiting it, I was kind of surprised at how, not tame, but how much is left unseen. Yeah, mercifully... We don't see, I mean, when we see Christy at the bottom of the stairs, like. Yes, but we're seeing the the end result. Exactly. But even then, we're barely seeing mangled. Right. Like, and if we are, it's slightly obscured, which I appreciated. Absolutely. But I mean, in many ways, is more horrific to leave a lot of that to the imagination. But also makes it feel less gratuitous. I mean, I think the point, it is intentionally gratuitous as far as like you know, he's he's like amassed all of these killings. And in that sense, like the, the killing is gratuitous in the context of the plot. Not oh, absolutely. Gratuitous, you know what I mean? Like oh, excessive. Oh, um, well, yeah. But it doesn't feel like we're just doing like gore and body horror. Right. Just to like show off effects and be like. <laughs> we're not doing a lot of the. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, you asked me a little earlier, Amy Jove, who did the score. Uh, the music was by uh, John Cow, who co-founded the Velvet Underground. Oh, it's and, so good. It's very like hearkening back to Bernard Herrmann. Yeah. Very like noir. Suspe- it has like a suspense thriller kind of feel. Yeah, he doesn't, Ra- doesn't do a lot of uh, film film scores. Is this and the previous film from director Mary Heron, I Shot Andy Warhol, but mainly he's just a like singer and musician. He, he still works a lot with Lou Reed and... Um, but it cool. provides like such a cool. It's very score stylish. For this film. Yeah. yeah. The casting directors of American Psycho were Carrie Barden, Suzanne Crowley, and Billy Hopkins. Barden, an Emmy nominee for casting Sex in the City, has also cast Spotlight, Prisoners, Pitch Perfect, and Winter's Bone. Crowley, an Emmy nominee for casting Killing Eve, has also cast John Wick, Seven, and Muppet Christmas Carol. Hey-o. And Hopkins, an Emmy winner for casting When They See Us, has also cast Precious, Speed, and Fatal Attraction. And together, Barden, Crowley, and Hopkins cast previous episode to Wong Fu 
Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. This is a dream team. (laughs) The dream team, indeed. So let's move on to some of the actors who were almost cast. Some of these people may have auditioned. Some may have just been discussed by casting. This is all subjective. And as always, I've looked up all the actors in advance, and Amy Jo is hearing it along with you, listener, for the very first time. I am as blank as Chloe Sevigny. (laughs) Wow, you get burnt, Chloe Sevigny. Not her, Jean. Jean, you know. Jean doesn't know what's going on. I see. Chloe's great. Chloe knows what's going on. You ain't getting anything past Chloe Sevigny. No, no, no. Let's kick it off with Patrick Bateman. I mean, Joe, we've already been talking a bit, but continue your thoughts on Christian Bale and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? It's just like the way he, well, we talked about this actually while we were watching it, that like, you know, he's so excellent with accents, but that by putting on an accent, you know, since he is not American, he is already putting on donning something artificial, which I think is so useful for this character. There's one moment where I hear the accent slip and it does make sense knowing it was the take he did like 15 times. Um, It's when he says girl, when he's talking about, you know, Christy, Mm. like about how she almost got away. He drops the R in that a little bit. I was like, oh yeah, you're British. One sound change in an entire film. I think it's pretty good. It's so interesting how like flexible his face is. You know what I mean? Just how he goes to this kind of like comic place with it. And then just the dead eyes, you know, I, yeah. I just, it's a really astonishing performance. The shot where he like comes down after killing Paul Allen, he like sits down and you watch it, like him breathing and he like kind of smooths his hair back and just kind of like, like gets himself together, not even gets himself together, just kind of like the come down from the immediate act of having just like yeah. axed this guy is so good like i don't know i don't know how i would be feeling after do i mean not like that but like if it i don't know i just really i just thought he was really fantastic in this movie lighting up that cigar yeah well every it's basically the whole reaction up to lighting the cigar that whole beat where it's just like navigating that like the high you know and it went, you know, like the blood mainly just hits the one side of his face, which to them was like very fortuitous to have this mm. like perfect, like very mirror image of like yeah. the one bloody side and the one like mostly neat side. Yeah, also yeah, great yeah. that he puts on this uh, raincoat to protect his clothes, but not his face. Yeah. Well, you can wipe your face off. It's as we've, we've seen up, him arguing with the we've seen thematic. him arguing with the laundry people. He cares more about the clothes. Yes, of course. Of yeah. Course, He's like, well, I can wash still. my own face, but they can't get blood out of my, you know, my sheets I got from where Santa Fe. I forget. Very true. It's cranberry juice. Yeah, sure. So the the two people that sprang to mind as like most reminded me of him in parts of this performance, although I don't these are not my first choices, but like the more comedic elements, I was like, oh my gosh, I never would have thought that Jim Carrey was at all like Christian Bale. Yeah. But a lot of the kind, especially in the hip to be square scene, well, yeah, is very Jim Carrey, which makes me feel like is Christian Bale like doing a Jim Carrey impression <laughs> in places? And then Bruce Campbell, who I feel like is the most closest to like someone who plays in kind of this kind of tone more of the right. time. And it does make me wonder if he had gotten a chance to do more serious movies, mm. like if like this would have been an interesting fit for him. I'm very interested in like Sam Rockwell for this. Mm, interesting. Um, obviously like a younger Sam Rockwell, but just just trying to think of like who are really strong actors that I'm just like, sure. all right, take it. Take a swing. Andrew Scott, who I will recommend I mean, for everything yeah. till the end of time. Sure. But also just like, yeah, we know the guy's got the chops. You know, I think the pool scene in Sherlock as Moriarty alone is like an audition to play 
this. Oh, he's you know to play most anything. To play that's his audition for all, 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 all. I don't know that I love this. In fact, I don't love this, but I could see Christopher Plummer. <laughs> Why do you always <laughs> say Christopher? <laughs> Um, I could see Leo being up for this. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, it's not out of the realm of possibility that this is also something he just, uh, you know. And seeing like, I mean, 13 or so years later, but Wolf of Wall Street is really seeing the like, okay, of what you were capable of. And like kind of what. 2000, if he was capable of this. Mm. When he was the right age. I don't know if that performance that he would be giving is at the level. Right. I think he hadn't, you know, he was still playing a lot like kind of softer, more romantic type stuff. I mean, he was still giving great performances. I mean, he's amazing. And who's afraid of of Gilbert Grape? What's (laughs) eating Gilbert Grape? Who's afraid of Gilbert Um, Grape? And he's very good two years later in Catch Me If You Can. But thinking of how he looks in Catch Me If You Can when he still looks so like a baby. And that's partially what he's trading on, whereas as we say, like Christian Bale is like, I'm 27, but I am a man. Right. Guy Pierce. Oh, yeah. I think would be amazing in this. Yeah. Like, And I would not have thought of him if we hadn't just done Memento, yeah. you know, but I remember saying on that, I was like, I should be recommending Guy Pierce for him <laughs> because he's incredible. Matt Smith played it in the musical in London, and I completely understand that casting choice. I did not see it. It was Ben Walker here, which also makes sense to me. But Matt Smith has that kind of affable good guy kind of thing um, that I would be interested to see, like the darker side of that. But I feel like almost better than Matt Smith at that would be Tom Hiddleston. And so far as like the kind of Brits of that age. Yeah, Tom Hiddleston would be great. I think he out of the like Matt Smith, Benedict Cumberbatch, Tom Hiddleston kind of trio. I I think Tom Hiddleston would be my first choice out of those guys just in so far as like. The thinking of like Loki, like his elasticity within the like playfulness of that and the, you know, and he's also like a classically trained Rada guy. So and he's someone that you can, I think, would nail the smile with nothing behind the eyes. Yes, completely. Which is a very important part and is really easier to be utilized in film than in a musical on stage is being able to see the character's inner life in that there is none to be able to see the like the blankness and how much he's forcing himself to try to pretend to be like a human so you know i mean yeah whatever michael c hall is you know he he that's what he was doing as dexter i could also see michael c hall in this type of role i could see a james spader Oh, yeah. I, I would dig. I'd be interested in. I think if you can't get Christian Bale, the kind of the closest is like, give me Jude Law. Yeah, I, I was thinking about like the talented similar, Mr. Ripley kind yeah. of vibes. Yeah, and it's 2000, so he's about to break big in a different way. I could see the Hugh Jackman version. Oh, interesting. He doesn't normally do something like this. But it's, he could. I could see it. And made later, I mean, if this is made today, I think Chris Evans would be really good mm-hmm. in this. I've now been on record saying he's the best yeah. of the Chris's. You have, so you have. I, I guess I, ha- I have to agree. <laughs> Michael Fassbender is someone he's who I really- He's on my longer list for sure. I can, I think would nail, because I think he's also such a phen- one of our best actors doing it today. Uh, and I, I could just really see, like a, he's a lot, a lot of the internalized, uh, <laughs> internalized shame in shame um that i think would util he could utilize very well within this i didn't get him on my shorter list simply because i haven't seen him enough to know like if sure. he's funny and i do feel like that's pretty critical with this you know i agree he's i've seen him be funny enough in, in things sure. 
there's a really weird film that I didn't care for all of called Frank that he mainly has like a, a fake paper mache head on for most of the film, Interesting. but he's also like a reclusive singer, but huh. so he's, he's, he, he can be funny. It's a weird film. It's him, Donald Gleason and Maggie Gyllenhaal. It's a weird, weird film, but he can be funny. Uh, or his, I guess he is X-Men co-star James McAvoy. Um, mm. was very good in a film that I was like fine on called filth that he's just this corrupt cop who is like, doing the worst things imaginable and justifying it in his own head and also dealing with a lot of self-loathing that is adjacent in the, in the world to this in the world and based on his performance in the uh in la- in this year's film fresh i could see uh sebastian stan the old winter soldier oh, yes you made me watch that trailer and i was I like i did i'm horrified <laughs> you're, you're you're horrified enough from the trailer you never need to see the oh, film oh yeah i was that like is okay don't make um, me watch but this because you do partly also need you need a guy that looks like this you need a you guy do. that's gonna look like how he says i can do a hundred crunches without stopping um a thousand a thousand my mistake a hundred is nothing that's child's play yes that's a baby could do a hundred crunches <laughs> this 27 year old man is doing a thousand that's necessary to work on wall street you douche <laughs> um, so one part of getting the role of patrick bateman uh involved christian bale was required to sing hip to be square acapella in its entirety without missing a word Okay, that's just, that's cruel. It's cruel. Acapella is, like, especially for something that's never going to be acapella, it's like you're helped a lot by a Well, I think it's track. just to show the gung-ho-ness sure, of, like, sure, sure. Your, what you're willing to do I'm for the afraid. role. He was warned by many that it would be career suicide for him to play the lead in a film like this. He said, I had an awful lot of calls saying it was going to be career suicide. A lot of people would talk about Anthony Perkins in Psycho and say, you know, once you play a villain like that, you never get to play anything else because you're stuck in everybody's imagination as that person. But people didn't know Perkins in this to the same degree that they already knew Christian Bale. True. That's true. I feel like he already had a body of work behind him that like Perkins. Newsies, swing kids. Yeah. I mean, like Perkins did. but Pocahontas. Like, it was. <laughs> what he's the voice of like john smith's number two in Pocahontas wow well for some reason that's we you know everybody's got velvet gold mine yeah yeah exactly like he'd been i mean maybe it wasn't like huge huge but i do maybe that's me retrofitting but i feel yeah. like people generally were more aware of him then I mean, and I wasn't around in, right. in the fifties. I, I think to it see was Perkins. like a solid five years that no one was, re- no one really was seeing Velvet Goldmine. No one saw like, all the little animals with yeah. him and John Hurt. Like this really broke him yeah. in uh, a very new, new way compared to really Newsies, Swing Kids, but also neither of which did big money when they first came out. Um, so people were, I think, aware of him. He's also, he's Demetrius in that Midsummer with yeah. Kevin Klein and I think Psycho Calista also, Blockhart. Psycho, the movie of Psycho was such like a phenomenon that it swept Perkins along with it. Whereas I don't think that that was necessarily what happened with this film. Yeah. So you're able to take the performance in a different way as opposed to I'm trying to think of something more. This is a terrible comparison, but like. Napoleon Dynamite was the thing where everyone's talking about this movie. And so, like, you have what John Hater. Um, just like it's like, well, yeah, that's that guy. Right. That's that guy from this movie that we all quote the whole film. You know, right. and whereas And I that guy is only gonna be Napoleon Dynamite. Hundo. You know what I mean? I do. And why shouldn't John Hater be playing Patrick Bateman in American Psycho? I can Psycho? think of a few reasons. Why isn't Christian Bale playing Napoleon Dynamite? That's I can what think I want to know. A few reasons, but sure. You don't want 
want to see him yelling at a llama to get her <laughs> get, get, get your get your lunch, you stupid cow. Because <laughs> I think that'd be pretty. Amazing. I want to see Christian Bale talking about tots. I want to see Christian Bale doing that dance, doing yes. that full dance. I would pay upwards of twenty dollars. <laughs> Christian Bale said he saw the character as of Patrick Bateman as an alien who landed in the unabashedly capitalist New York of the eighties. Apparently, in contrast to the other actors that director Mary Heron had spoken to, he did not find Bateman admirable, and Heron felt he was the only one who fit the role. She thought casting the relatively unknown Bale was risky, but had a lot of faith in him, as Velvet Goldmine director Todd Haynes told her that Bale was the best actor he's ever worked with. Hmm. During the shooting of the film, Christian Bale spoke in his American accent offset at all times at the rap party is when he first began to speak in his native English accent, and many of the crew thought he was speaking that way as an accent for another film. Oh. Uh, Because they just assumed (laughs) he was actually American. Yeah, well, he's really good at accents. Yeah. Apparently, he followed the morning routine that Patrick Bateman describes uh, throughout all of production. Well. Which, I mean, his skin's looking good. He's he's looking glowing, darling. (laughs) And, you know, again, like I said, it's very flexible, very expressive. So it's not also filled with Botox to look that way. That's just just a strong skincare routine. Yeah. And and I'm sure nutrition to beat the band. To beat it. To beat it. Uh, Two interesting sources of inspiration for his character. One, he stumbled upon a Tom Cruise appearance on the late show with David Letterman. And he said that he saw in Cruz this very intense friendliness with nothing behind mm. the eyes mm. and based Bateman on that. Well, that you and he put that out. He told people that. Yeah. And I mean, oh, well, I, I, mean, I get it. But now people. I don't know if he's ever worked with Cruz and I don't know if he ever know, will. Uh, and he used Nicolas Cage's performance in Vampire's Come Kiss on. as an inspiration as the two characters are They're, strikingly similar. They are basically, but that is so funny. Yeah, I mean, listener, if you've never seen Vampire's Kiss, do yourself It's spooky a October. Favor. You truly must. It is unhinged, but it, a lot of similarities down to like, is this guy actually killing people? Is this all in his head? No, truly. W- when I think of American Psycho, I do also think of Vampire's Kiss. Like, it's the same guy who's like, They should have had working. Christian Bell running down the street going, I am a psycho. I am a, a psycho. psycho. <laughs> wow. Uh, so let's get into the actual actors who were considered. After the novel was originally optioned in 1991, author Brett Easton Ellis himself was set to write the script for director Stuart Gordon, probably best known for the 80s cult horror film Reanimator, which was intended to star Johnny Depp as Patrick Bateman. I get that. I mean, that's interesting that that's a role yeah. Johnny Depp would have been doing in 91, 92, but yes, very I, I can young, see it. very early, but he is supposed to be, you know, 26, 27. Uh, 27, right, 27. Uh, Stork Gordon wanted to do the film in black and white and stick as close to the book as possible, meaning a guaranteed X rating. So you you keep saying all this stuff that they changed, but you haven't said what they changed. What are There's just a lot more graphic murder. Yeah. Like to a wild degree. Yeah. People just getting limbs chainsawed off. There's just like a lot that is described. I don't know how much are like scenes happening currently and how much is Patrick Bateman talking about things that happened mm-hmm. that could also play into like did this actually happen or not he's just describing things to us as a narrator Again, it makes me very very glad it was adapted by women um absolutely because it does provide it 
like I get it. I get why this film is one of the ones like Fight Club, like whatever, that you can have a certain guy watch it and completely miss the Absolutely. point of the film. Very, any Anyone who thinks Patrick Bateman is someone worth looking up to, you've missed the point completely. So I 100% agree. I'm, I'm so glad that we got the movie we did from Mary Heron with written by her and Guinevere Turner because they are really leaning into the satire. And, and Brett Easton Ellis says that he thinks that the movie is great and is be- arguably better than the book and is able to highlight the themes in the book more clearly very clearly number one because they're working from as you said a bit of a remove being time-wise but also a bit of a remove because they are not in any way from that world they are going to be putting their own point of view on like this kind of guy you know i actually in the show i'm doing we had a we had a night recently where like truly half the audience was like clearly like finance bros which was Mm. very peculiar to perform our like burlesque spectacular for you know because they were not they spoke to the cast and treated us because you know we're in and out of the audience everything like you know contractors basically you know like just we're here for them and not like look we are here to like do a show for you but we're not at your disposal like it was just like some of the comments they're making to people it's like look mm -mm." and so watching this movie immediately after having like experienced this kind of audience that enjoyed it in a way that felt very dismissive and somewhat exploitative like mm. it was just like very interesting to watch this and just be like yeah i have a particular point of view of this kind of people particularly after we feel like you all culturally like came together to like experience this thing kind of like all these guys at these lunches who are just like talking about women which of course i love that then he takes it to a conversation about Ed Gein before people were really talking about Ed Gein. Oh, is that that know? maitre d' over? That, a- <laughs> that was so good. All of that is so funny. Yeah. Um, after the version with Johnny Depp fell through, David Cronenberg was going to direct it. With- oh, and that is more interesting to me. Yeah. With Brad Pitt. And he occurred to me as someone that I thought at a, thinking about the fact that this was an early 90s book, I was like, I wonder if Pitt was ever up for this. But I just don't think he, (laughs) given our most recent foray into Brad Pitt, um, I don't know that he's up for it. Yeah, I I can see it more. And I mean, yes. that's the thing. Like, it's only around, I forget what year, but I think it's like 90, around 94, 93, when he did Interview the Vampire, that he did uh, 12 Monkeys, where he has like a lot more energy. And I think that, that Patrick Bateman still has, is an, an energy in him that I could see Brad Pitt's energy aligning sure. with. Uh, just thinking of Brad Pitt, thinking of Brad Pitt in Fight Club, just thinking of that, like, if you f- make him having to rein that in and keep that under the surface, but that is all still yeah. there. I see it a lot more than I, a lot more than, interview than I was seeing Empire. anything in Interview with the Vampire. Uh, and then now this is when Mary Heron gets involved. And she, as I said, very interested in Christian Bale from the jump but he was unknown so the producers like we're gonna look at a lot of other different people as mm-hmm. well so Billy Crudup was attached for a month and a half oh oh I like that a lot but was uneasy and left the project uh which they appreciated his honesty in admitting that he just could not understand the character so I think he was into it and then after a month and a half with the script is like i don't know how to play this but he was ready for harry clark when that came along oh he's so good in harry clark but also he, he was ready instead in 2000 to do almost famous which instead, he which... was brilliant in that is how i came to yeah. know billy Cooper. i think a lot of people yeah which is a much kind of gentler character you right. know i mean 
uh, like yeah, obviously. A, a hard rock and roll <laughs> guitarist, but um, mm, let's see. one person who uh, murders twenty to forty people, one person who's not too nice to that little kid, <laughs> Patrick Fugit. Well, I don't know. Um, Billy Crudup, I think, will be really good. I see him a lot more just as one of the friends. For sure. There's like, I he see him crush. slotting into this energy, but I don't know as Bateman himself. Like, I get Yeah, he'd be great as, um, the, well, what's his name? Justin, Justin Thoreau. Thoreau. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, ben Chaplin was considered of uh, Thin Red Lines and uh, of other films of that nature. Other films I've other not films. seen. I believe he's in that Kenneth Branagh live action Cinderella. I think he's the dad. Have I seen that? Oh, I thought you did. Oh, is that the Kate Blanchett one? Yeah. Oh, see, that's the Kate Blanchett one. Well, me. Kenneth Branagh overacted it. Oh, good for him. All right. Um, well, he played Cinderella's dad, who I assume gets ganked in the first five minutes. It's gotta happen. It's gotta happen. Well, anyway, in 2000, he was doing this satanic <laughs> panic movie, Lost Souls, that is critically reviled. Good, so, good, good. Robert Sean Leonard was considered. Oh, um, I see the impulse behind it. I would much rather see Ethan Hawke, if we're talking like Dead Poets sure. Society alums. Yeah. Um, I don't don't know. Just, I mean, I've seen Robert Sean Leonard now at this point do a number of different things on stage as well as on film. And he's like wonderful, but I've never seen that kind of this, that slight fury behind the eyes that transitions into like, (laughs) you know, it is that kind of thing. Yeah. Just doesn't feel like where he lives. I feel like he's much better, like thinking of him playing. Edmund and Longdays, like mm. this, like gentle, poetic soul. Yeah, that's feel like I, that's what I'm always getting from Robert Sean. Leonard. I mean, I saw him play Harold Hill, and he was he was delightful, but yeah. it, it was still like that's that that guy's starting a band. You know, yeah. he's like I'm a con man, but they still like me. He's the most lovable con man you ever did. Exactly. Say. I have trouble seeing Robert Sean Leonard. Although you know what that makes me this. think of is he replaced Craig Bierko. Yeah. Ooh, Craig Bierko. Craig Bierko. Could handle this, I think. That's true. Just thinking of uh, Long Kiss Goodnight. Thinking of the Long Kiss Goodnight. That's a good point. Johnny Lee Miller was considered, which oh, I'm getting. Sure, yeah. I'm, I'm I get, getting it. I get Instead, of he, in 2000, he was in Dracula 2000 with Christopher Plummer, Gerard Bothler, and Vitamin C. So that's what he was doing in 2000. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think it's just like any actor who spends more than 10 years making movies in Hollywood has to do a Dracula. You know, I think that's. At some point, they gotta do a Dracula. Dracula. Jared Leto was also considered for Patrick Bateman. That does make sense. All those yeah. guys are kind of like, yeah. well, I think the point being that they all. Right, right. All are interchangeable. But in it way. works great, you know, because he's like just known enough in 2000. He, but he's he's barely, it's like three little scenes and then yeah. he is gone. But Again, I did not right. recognize <laughs> the man. But I think famously, I've rarely seen him in a motion picture. Yeah, it was, this is 2000. So he had both this and. Requiem for a Dream. And I think the year prior was Fight Club. So it was a little threefer of a cult, dark yep. films yep. for him. Keanu Reeves was offered the role at some point. Now, I did think of him, funnily enough, like a lot of these Christian Bale VO line readings. Yeah. There's a sort of dispassionateness to them. And I I do not mean this as a like a slight or a read on Keanu Reeves, but there's like a slight remove to them, which yeah. works great for the character that I could really, I think it reminded me of a lot of like Keanu's performances where it's just like a little detached. Yeah, um, I agree. And it is, I think, a strength of Christian Bale's that so much of the film he's able to do that. So in the t- few times that he is like ooh. really going yeah. ham, killing people, 
or when he's really freaking out at the end in the yeah. full paranoia that you're able to see those colors that they, those are there. Oh yeah. That are usually just so tampered. It down. is a, it is an extremely nuanced and colorful and varied performance that he is only showing you a yes. certain percentage of himself through most of the film. Even in his private moments, it's like, yeah. I can't let myself go. Yeah. Even when he's taking a piss, just staring at his reflection in the framed picture of Limis poster to Les Miserables. What I love is like. over his toilet. He's just like every morning gets up and <laughs> urinates into the face of an orphan. Well, of when you pauper. put it like a phrasing. Well, maybe not into, but basically like there's something. I mean, how can you look at that and not think like, number one, it's a status symbol because it was an expensive show to go see at the time. So it's like a status symbol oh, to I've be able to see Les Mis. I've got a matinee of Les Mis. I can't. But number two that the poster is the face of a pauper and that it's like so antithetical to the life that he's living it's uh, true i just thought it was uh, hilarious <laughs> great instead in 2000 keanu reeves had the replacements also a movie i watched a billion times because it was on hbo uh the sam raimi movie the gift and this film the watcher that he famously only did because his friend signed his name on the contract and he didn't want to have to sue his friend. So he just said, fine, I'll do your movie. I think you have told me that story. And that is <laughs> yikes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Edward Norton. He crossed my mind, of course. Yeah. Um, I, I like it, but I greatly yeah. prefer this. Yeah. The producers tried to talk Heron into casting him, which is 2000. He's like fresh off American history. American History X, I think, was 98, yeah. and then Fight Club in I 99. I mean, uh, given primal fear, I understand right. why people would think him for this. Well, I think between the one-two punch of that and American History X, yeah. it's like, oh, this guy can do a lot of things, and I'm sure he's sure to win an Oscar any day now because everyone loves working with this <laughs> new young buck Edward Norton. <laughs> Wait, what? No one wants to work with him anymore? Mm. Uh, in 2000, he was doing Keeping the Faith is what he the opposite Another of American Psycho. Another one that I definitely saw college a lot <laughs> so now mary heron ultimately allowed to cast bail but only if she casts at least two other big name actors in the supporting roles ah uh, that so, makes some things make yeah, sense to that end heron hires willem dafoe for kimball and reese witherspoon to yep. play evelyn however after they had agreed to appear and lionsgate had told heron that she you can have christian bale they told her eh, we're gonna make an offer to ding 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 to you Leonardo DiCaprio. Am I good or am I good? So Heron told them if they did, she would leave the project, which is exactly what happened. So Oliver Stone was subsequently hired to replace Hollywood Mary is Heron. So stupid. Working from a script by Matt Mark Walter. Uh, so DiCaprio eventually left the project to shoot The Beach instead, mm -hmm. the Danny Boyle movie. And as the budget began to get out of control, Stone left, prompting Lionsgate to rehire Heron. But there's some rumor as to why DiCaprio left. While he was still attached to the project, the story is that Gloria Steinem lobbied him not to make the movie as his fan base consisted predominantly of young teenage girls and they could ruin his career. She'd spoken out about the novel several times in the past and was against any film version in any incarnation, uh, which is interesting as she would soon become Christian Bale's stepmother as she was dating his father at the time that Bale accepted the part. Whoa, whoa, wow. And Bale has dismissed rumors that he specifically accepted the oh. role to irk Steinem. 
as unsubstantiated Well, it also gossip. sounds like he was attached to it earlier before right. all this was going on. But And apparently Christian Bale was like, DiCaprio's not going to do this. He's like, I don't care that I've now lost this role in DiCaprio's doing, that he was certain. So he, for a year, was turning down other film offers and auditions. He's like, no, 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 this is, this is it. This is going to be the one. This is going to happen. Uh, and ultimately... DiCaprio yeah. left, but still they were like, we need you to keep looking at other people. So they looked at Hugh McGregor, who turned it down, his former Velvet Goldmine cold star. Uh, and McGregor turned it down after Bale urged him to. So I just picture Bale being like, listen, uh, well, two versions, either, hey, buddy, you and we had such a good time doing Velvet Goldmine. Please, Please don't let do this me movie. have this. Or if you accept this movie, I'm coming to your house. I'm going to light it on fire. I'm going to chop off your limbs. I'm going to drag you out by your stumps. Well, uh, there's also a certain amount of like, you're already far more famous than I. You don't need <laughs> you this. Well, but of course, it's like we would like to have Obi-Wan Kenobi in our movie. Maybe people will Was see our Obi-Wan movie. Obi-Wan by this point? 1999, no. Phantom Menace. Really? The year before... American Psycho. He was in Phantom Menace. Yeah, he's Obi Wan Kenobi. Well, I know he's. Obi-Wan he's got a little Kenobi. rat tail. Oh, I remember. It's a very unfortunate haircut. I just couldn't remember which movie he came back into. Yeah, no, I get it, but I think Hollywood bunch of dum dums. They sure are, but also you and you just such a sweetie. It's like I know that he can do other things, but I can't see to this extent. To this extent, yeah. Would I like to see you, McGregor, running around naked with a chainsaw and his yes. and just his little sneakers? Of course. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? But I can't see it fitting as well as like Christian Bale really wears those sneakers and that chainsaw and nothing else yes. in a way that you're like, you've done this before, haven't you? Yeah. You're very comfortable <laughs> like this, my guy. Uh, and Matt Damon turned it down. Yeah. That, I mean, again, thinking about the talented Mr. Ripley of course. elements. Which, you know. The stuff that he's doing in that movie, it's like, I'm getting it's it. It's very akin to it. However, I do think this is one of those things that like when you're an actor and you think like, oh, if only I'd been slightly more off book for that callback, I would have gotten it. Oh, if only I, I know I'm, I didn't quite sing that note perfectly. That's why I didn't book it. And most of the time it's stuff like, well, no, you're slightly taller than this other actor and we definitely have to go with this other actor for X, Y, Z. And so like it just doesn't fit in our minds. So like. All the stuff that we can't actually control, you know, but like thinking about Christian Bale versus Matt Damon, forget like skill. Matt Damon still like at this point had like, I mean, even like today as he is like a fully grown middle aged man, like has like a sort of like just young kind of guy throwing a football around kind of face, you know, <laughs> whereas like Christian Bale has like the look of like a lean wolf, you sure. know, he's got those cheekbones and those eyes are yeah. so intense and there's something about him that just reads its face shape and it is also just like the way yeah the way he like looks out of his eyes he just looks like an intense guy and matt damon Absolutely. does not and yeah. i think that that's something that you just particularly on camera yeah. are gonna get for free that is massively useful which makes the shot of him just glowering walking down the hall while listening to walking on sunshine oh it, it sent me so through the roof. funny. Um, I 100% agree. Two things about that. One, made more recently, give me Jake Gyllenhaal as a Patrick yes, Bateman. I love great. it. Thinking of Nightcrawler, he'd be so good. Yes. Um, but that I totally agree with you, and I do love that 
with Christian Bale, but I think the character would work with a softer look. And that is still, That's so, so that it is like, yeah, the looks can really be deceiving and that you are getting, like, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I'm not saying that Matt Damon could do the role no, no, no. anywhere near uh, but as good I totally as Christian Bale. But, I totally hear you. But I also think part of what they're saying with this movie is like, nobody is looking. There is no accountability. Yeah. He is a terrible liar. The, the, this true. The stuff that he yeah. is saying to Willem <laughs> I've Dafoe. Got, I've got an appointment with Cliff Huxtable. <laughs> AKA Bill Cosby's character (laughs) on the Cosby Cosby show. show. Just like all those kinds of things. And just how his excuse is I have to return some videotapes. Like when he says that at the end, he's like, no, 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 I'm in touch with humanity. Oh man. It's like, yeah, you're like poking at it, you know, like that. He just, you're poking humanity with a stick. My guy, that he is so removed from it that no one is looking for it. And therefore, like, no one cares, you know, that it's there's something about that, too, that making it more obvious that he is like a wolf in sheep's clothing, a mm. wolf in Valentino or whatever the, <laughs> the suit brand right, he's supposed right. to be wearing. It's like your compliment was enough, Lewis. <laughs> I think there's so many different ways you can go with this, but I think that's part of what you get with Christian Bales. It's like no one sees that no one you're all too busy doing coke in the bathroom. Nobody, nobody, nobody. Yeah. But that sound means it's time to play a quick round of two truths and some guy. The way it works, two of the following actors were up for the role of Patrick and one was not. Amy Joe's to guess which is which. Your options are Ben Affleck, Vince Vaughn, and Mark Wahlberg. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Kool-Aid man. You're welcome. Oh, brother. Um, all right. If Matt Damon was up, it would make sense. Ben would also be up. Just because he, they would always accompany each other to auditions. Yeah. <laughs> like, a, like little well, siblings. But truly, especially at this point in time, because of. You Good got Will this, hunting, Maddie. I believe in you, bro. You can't, like, not think of one without the other. At the, like, even today, it's hard, it's hard to separate them. But, you know, you still. And, they and both. They, I mean, they were in the recent Ridley Scott movie, The Last Duel. But before that, I'm like, how, they don't act. It's not like they're acting no, it's with just each that other they all the both time. exploded with the same film. It's true. It's true. And so it's like, the even though, like, you know, Matt was what more friends with Casey, which tells us something about Matt. Um. Uh, anyway, I think like there's a lot of people are like, yeah, 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 yeah. Th- those guys, th- those guys. Vince Vaughn was around as he has ever been. Um, this would be post the Psycho remake in 1998. Oh, great! Just to give yeah. you an idea of Thanks. what yeah. he was doing. People going right. Who takes a psycho to play a psycho? You know what I'm saying? Um, you saw him as a psycho but now you'll see him as an, an american, american psycho. psycho and then who was the other idiot oh mark Wahlberg. um <laughs> who was the other idiot <laughs> i mean them no ill will i don't know these guys i don't um but i also don't care about them this is hard because i can really see all three of them being up for this i think vince vaughn is the worst choice but i'm gonna go with mark Wahlberg. Ding, ding, ding. That is correct. As ah. far as I could tell, Marky Mark wasn't considered for this. But Ben Affleck and Vince Vaughn both turned it down. Both offered the role. Wow. Thank goodness they turned it down. Yeah, I don't think either. That, well, I mean, and I do think like Ben's gotten better. But even so, I don't think either of them are up to the task of this this granular of a performance. Right. You know what I mean? Vince Vaughn can be good. He He does have like a certain, like, I don't think he 
did stand up ever, but he has a certain persona that is Absolutely. like a stand up who gets into film that they kind of are trading off, like a Dennis Leary, yeah. even like like a Chris Rock, like someone that you're like you're pretty much just a version of yourself, and sometimes that is utilized. Yeah, very I don't well. think either of them are like terrible actors. I think that they both like yeah. have been good in things and can excel at certain things, but it's like a narrower window as opposed to like Christian Bale, who's like. Uh, one very of fine actors. actor. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. But let's move on to Donald Kimball. And we show your thoughts on Willem Dafoe and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? I think it's so funny that someone who so often will be playing like the villain in this piece is the antagonist to our protagonist. But that means by the reversal of like how we're supposed to feel about these people, we like him, even as you're like, having that kind of moral crisis of like, should I be rooting for this guy to get away with it? Like, when are they no, going to catch true, him? But, that, but that's such a good point. It's like, you're not getting, you know, Alan Alda for Kimball. You're getting someone who in two years is going to be the Green Goblin that's so what, that you exactly are right. seeing him and being like, it helps you to other him because he so often plays villains and just to be like, we don't like this guy opposed to having a, someone who comes in who is always playing characters that we like, you know, Tom Hanks isn't, isn't coming in. You're as not Kimball. getting Peter Falk, you know, Ex oh, but yeah. if you did, wouldn't oh, it be great? Man. So my <laughs> first choice, uh, really, really my only choice I'm really satisfied with is Michael Shannon for this. Oh. Someone else who like comes in and you're like, yeah you, yeah, you can play very affable, but also there's something about you that just reads as like, yeah. I'm not sure if I should be menaced by you because what the whole time you're not sure, like, is this guy onto him? What does this guy yeah. think of him? What well, is really going on? Oh, part of that, me. you can thank Mary Heron for the director because she instructed Willem Dafoe to play each of the scenes three ways. Oh. One, as if he is suspicious of Patrick Bateman. One, as if he has no clue as to Bateman's guilt, and one, as if he's undecided. And then they edit it together in All post, just mixing and matching. I love that. So at any given point, it's from like three different versions of the character Willem Dafoe is playing. But I love that also because Willem Dafoe is so good that no matter what, in each version, he's going to be connected. Yeah. He's going to be playing something real and... Yet then they can go in and like magic together something that feels not yeah. in any way disconnected, but in a way that makes us be like, I, I am very much still guessing. Yeah. You know? It's a small role, but you can so see the inner life of everything that Will oh, yeah. has going on that of his like intentions. Yeah. In all these scenes are like they, these scenes are crackling They're because so you've got good. the two of them two great together are dynamite. It's yeah. just so fun to watch. Oh, man, him just being like, oh, am I interrupting something, Mr. Bateman, as Patrick's just like throwing porn into the drawer. Yeah, he's like, oh, no, he's like, I know how busy you guys can get. And they just like, whoop. Hilarious. This movie is so funny it when it's is. not terrifying. Yes. And even sometimes then. Um, even sometimes then? Even sometimes then. I have here, this is my more going with more the Peter Falk route, and that's Mark Ruffalo. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, I, ha I had a tough time with this one because Willem Dafoe is so good and it's one of those roles that like you want a really fine actor for to to walk that line but also just like so that they feel like a presence right they feel like when they enter it's worth not just because oh it's the detective but it's like oh it's this actor you know yeah. so I, yeah I he's automatically getting some kind of status yeah yeah yeah, yeah so that's yeah i i struggled because it was also just like 
You're so good. They both have that kind of like really wide grin where also their cheeks get almost cartoonish when they're smiling. Like the scene between the two and they were just like grinning. I was like, this is strange. I feel like it's almost animated, you know, in a real, in a, in a like yeah. cool, weird way. Yeah. I have other ideas though for the character. I mean, I feel like Bashemi is giving me mm-hmm. a similar, just like you just don't know where you stand. For sure. With the guy, like, is he suspecting me? Is he oblivious? Um, I could also see James Bader here in like 2000 totally. um, or made more recently. Uh, I think Alfred Molina, I would really, always would really good. like. And he's played Poirot, you know. He's played Poirot. Poirot. Um, I could see an Ernie Hudson here. Oh, that would be so fun. Uh, I'd love a Keith David. I could see, I mean, he was still an unknown, or I guess maybe he was known possibly for Malcolm in the Middle at this point. I could see a Brian Cranston made hmm. a little later or made today. I kind of see it. Today makes more sense because. That was part of the gag of him in Breaking Bad, right? It was like, this is the dad for Malcolm, Malcolm in the Malcolm Middle. Middle. Everyone was so, yeah. yeah, I remember the discourse at the time being like, <laughs> but what? The sitcom dad. <laughs> True. Uh, so one other actor who was up for this, which was when Oliver Stone was attached. So we could have had Leonardo DiCaprio as our Patrick Bateman and James Woods as our Kimball. I understand the impulse. Which I get it. I get it. I think we're better off. Oh, we sure are. Let's move on to Courtney. This is a relatively small role in the film. Uh, Your thoughts on Samantha Mathis and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? This is uh, a woman who, if you haven't seen the film in a while, this is Patrick. I didn't really mention her in the synopsis that uh, Patrick is having an affair with, uh, who is married to- Engaged. Or engaged to Louis uh, Carruthers, who is one of the, is like the- I forget how they describe him, but pretty much like the dope of the office that he's got these bow ties and this parted hair. Well, and then, of course, turns out to turns be out gay. Turns out yeah. to be gay. That Patrick goes to strangle him in a bathroom because his business card is better than Patrick's. And this guy assumes that Patrick is hitting on him. And it's like, oh, like, that's great. It's like, why here? <laughs> Patrick just just washing his gloved hands under the sink and like so thrown Oh, brother. But anyway, your thoughts on Samantha Mathis as Courtney and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else? I thought she was really good. This is, I mean, you're basically like in this character seeing so much of the disaffection and the, you know, the incredibly, like the men are all doing cocaine and the the women are all on different like prescription Valiums and. Yeah, I forget what Elizabeth, like uh, later on, like the, the redhead, the friend who's like very like. Uh, this where do you summer that's what i forget what like drugs she was asking for but like they're they're all on like pharmaceuticals yeah it's a tricky thing to basically be vacant the whole time yeah like to have to be present but in a like a slightly removed reality so i think she's very good i was like i don't know who who plays drugged um who would i also believe as someone who is like doing that and like just like their whole existence is in this like lace bed where everything matches and that's like where they spend all their time, you know. Um, so like Jessica Chastain, I'm like, oh, I sure. can see that. A young Carrie Mulligan, mm. I could see. And then this is not my favorite actor, but I'm like, well, I feel like I've seen this. January Jones. Yeah, same. Just giving I... me that kind of like, well, I have nothing else to do, so I'll do this. <laughs> 
time to do drugs. Time to do drugs. <laughs> no, I totally see that. I mean, it's, I, I watched all that Mad Men and uh, narrow range on January correct, Jones, but I correct. do think they played the crap this out of Betty. is in that That's range. That's in that pocket. <laughs> uh, as would their Mad Men co-star, Christina Hendricks, I think would also be I have her really elsewhere. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, and I could see 2000, if you need like another name who's only shooting for like a few days, give me a Jennifer Tilly. Oh. I, I would I would. Yeah, dig. it helps to have funny people in these supporting roles absolutely to keep the whole film in the right tone absolutely which i think our uh, next person oh yeah. character we're discussing does just that uh but first one other actor who once again for oliver stone's version was elizabeth berkeley which oh i'm kind of into i like that a and lot i think like something like that at this time would have been really good for would her. have been so helpful for elizabeth yeah. berkeley climbing out of that showgirls yeah. debacle yeah yeah but um, no i i like that and i feel like she absolutely could have handled yeah. that fine yeah but let's move on finally to evelyn Amy joe your thoughts on reese witherspoon and who would you cast if you had to cast someone else yeah, it's a pretty small part. So having someone like Reese Witherspoon, who number one always comes in and kills, but also who is like a known entity yeah. at this time, it's oh, yeah. very helpful. Because again, we're gonna ascribe a certain amount of status to her. We're like, that's Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, her with that little pot belly pig. Oh, I had forgotten about Mistletoe that. Mistletoe alert! You're such a Grinch, Patrick. Just. I hate her. Uh, I love to hate her. Same. But it's like, it's perfect. It's what exactly what you need Just for also, this role. The nail polish color they have on her is this kind of pink that's like, who chooses that outside of like a seven-year-old girl, you <laughs> I know? Love, oh, I love when Patrick is trying to break up with her at the end and she's having a full like mime conversation with a friend she sees yeah, across the restaurant. Exactly, yeah. And she like won't hear Where it. Where did you get these? Oh my God, I know. Okay. Okay. So funny. Like, and I feel like she really nails, I mean, obviously she nails the tone, but she also like just gives us so much context for the world. Yeah. Like their relationship and lack thereof where he's like, I don't think we've ever had any shared experiences. It's <laughs> like, yes, this is one of those. And then she still cries about it. I was like, well, yeah, of course. Cause you think you're being broken up with when you're like, have you ever been together with this person? Right. Like, no, girl, you are getting out of danger. You are <laughs> actually in a much better situation. Uh, um, So I do think that having someone funny in this part tremendously helps. So like I have like Elizabeth Banks that's here. That's my number one really? pick too. Yeah. I love it when an actor we haven't talked about in like truly forever ends up being. Well, you know, it's you know, 2000. It's the same year as Wet Hot American Summer. She wasn't and- like. A, a name yet right, you know like right. she would come to be but she'd be great she'd crush. so funny rachel mcadams oh I have here. yeah this is where i have christina Hendricks. Okay, who, just sure. also thinking of her in mad men and just like how much she's like be the queen bee of the office yeah. i feel like you need someone who has strong queen bee energy in honestly this. john ham patrick bateman <gasps> oh that's great yeah. mad men is not not American Psycho in a way. You I mean, know? he's very similar in many ways to he, this he character. He is. What an American Psycho. And that's only like 2006 that that show yeah. started or something, which is bananas, bananas to, to picture that that show started six years after this. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of love the idea of John like Hamm. a lot. Patrick Bateman. This is maybe a little too goofy in energy, but I could see like a Rashida Jones being very funny yeah, here. Sure. Yeah. Just thinking also like if this were more closer to when like the book had come out, like a Halle Berry, just like oh. someone who's going to look immaculate, yeah. you know, and, and they're all about the veneer, mm. these people, you know, yeah. so. Honestly, a full one-to-one of Mad Men and American Psycho, 
John Hamm as your Patrick Bateman. I mean, <gasps> Elizabeth. John Slattery as John Slattery Kimble? as Kimball. Elizabeth Moss as Jean. Oh, yeah. And Chloe perfect. Sevigny, obviously. I mean, that that actually is perfect. Right yeah. There. I mean, as uh, as Paul Allen, you could do old Vincent Carthizer, yeah, old Pete Campbell. Perfect, perfect. Uh, and as their whole, his whole little quartet, you've got, you know, uh, yes. Ken Cosgrove and uh, whoever the, whoever Rich Summers played, whatever, Harry. Harry Crane. Yeah. Um, I think. And what's his name from season one who didn't come back to season two? But uh, who was in season one? Oh, right. The taller guy. guy. Uh, But anyway, I think you could do a whole one to one American Psycho meets Mad Men. Patrick Bateman running around the 60s. Oh, I mean, we're satirizing different things, but. um, We are, but I'm here. But capitalism was all. (laughs) It was capitalism all All along. along. Uh, yeah, I think Reese is so good in this. It is, it's a small role, but it doesn't feel it in yeah. a way that, uh, with Courtney, because like we never really check back in with Courtney that if that role feels well, it's like, like it when could she's be like completely Patrick, excised. As he's like on the way out, you're like, oh, is True. she gonna OD or something here? Right. But then we just never see that character again. Yeah. That it, I, but whereas with Reese, we get like a full little arc. We end with her getting broken up with, mm-hmm. uh, we have her with this pig it's so perfect. <laughs> and then when, when she's like, why is Paul Allen calling you like this name? And he just goes, <laughs> mistletoe alert. Just turning that right back it's on so her good. is so funny. I could see, yeah, Elizabeth Banks, maybe Laura Dern in 2000. Oh, I'm not yeah. sure. I could see a Portia de Rossi. Oh, yeah. Uh, and Eva Mendez, if this was made a little later, obviously Kristen Bell. Oh, yeah, duh. Those are my thoughts. What was I thinking? Shannon Doherty was considered. No, I could see her in certain roles in this, but not in this role. This is 2000, so she was in season three of Charmed, which might have been her last season of Charmed before she left the show, uh, and some movie called Satan's Schools for Girls. So that's what Shannon Doherty was doing. Oliver Stone's choice was Cameron Diaz, which I do get. I get that. I am getting that. 2000, she was doing Charlie's Angels instead, but that's... could totally see. Uh, speaking of Charlie's Angels, uh, Drew Barrymore was originally sought to play one of the female roles. So I'm not sure which. What is so I'd funny about this, this is one. Lucy Liu is on my longer list for this part. <laughs> <laughs> Neither of those two. And Bill Murray is for mine. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, Bill Murray is Kimball would be so out of left field, but is but, something. Hey, it, you know what it is? is? It's a thing. Is something. Or his other Charlie's Angels co-star, Tim Curry, as Kimball. That's something. That's there you something. go. Christian Bale and director Mary Heron both tried to convince Winona Ryder to take the role. I see her more as a Jean. I agree. A younger Winona Ryder as Jean than two, yeah. 2000 feels... But maybe, maybe not. Maybe it is around the same age as Chloe Sevigny. Chloe Sevigny. Uh, instead, in 2000, she was also doing that movie Lost Souls with Ben Chaplin. Uh, and Autumn in New York with Richard Gere. And Elaine Stritch is in Autumn in New York. Stritch, Which, good on Elaine Stritchy for having, like, being third build in some weepy Richard Gere and a writer drama romance. You know what? She was working all the time. She, you know what? She's working all the time. But those are all the characters that I found other casting options for. There are a few characters I didn't mention. I want to briefly touch on them. Uh, we have the sex worker, Christy, that Bateman picks up that we see a few mm-hmm. times throughout, which is uh, written specifically for Kara Seymour, who is a friend of director Mary Heron. She's also in such films as You've Got Mail, Adaptation, Gangs of New York, and Mary Heron's next film, The Notorious Betty Page, uh, which I do love Patrick's line about her. She's my cousin. She's from... 
France. Again, just the worst horrible liar. liar. I forgot about that, but no, she's from France. France. Just cutting back to her and her face not changing. Where do you summer? <laughs> yes, well, that is the Guinevere Turner, the screenwriter, yes. as Elizabeth, who's the one. So when, when we were watching this, I was like, with the two oh, of them. I love her. What else she's has great. she been in? And then I look around, I was like, not really anything I've seen. I was like, oh, and she co wrote this? Okay. No. Love. Yeah, she said it was just very funny working with Mary as a like from, from a, as a screenwriter for so long because they've been trying to make the notorious betty page first for a while mm. until mary sent her the book and was like hey i think we could make something really interesting with this and she's reading it and was like this is the most disturbing thing i've ever read in my life but could see that undercurrent of like yeah, there's yeah. that thread and if, that if we you follow pull that on one, it that one yeah. satirical thread and make that the center focus of the film as opposed to someone else not quite pulling that to, what did I and say? then there's this cool part where he kills all these people <laughs> and like that's not what we're here for yeah, what did i say when when we were we were watching this just i think it was after that first scene with willem dafoe and everything where he's he's like keeps getting him the like do you want lime for that this i'm really okay just like how far they pushed the satire like they pushed it like so far without it like breaking like the movie, you know, yeah. and I think that that is the key. Agreed. Uh, Krista Sutton is Sabrina, who's the the other woman the first time that he has mm-hmm. uh, Christy have, over. Yeah, uh, who's also great. We have his main little crew. We have Bill Sage as David Van Patten, Josh Lucas as Craig McDermott, uh, who would go on to do Sweet Home Alabama with Reese Witherspoon oh. like two years after this, and Justin Thoreau as Timothy Bryce. That I loved. That you were like, who is this guy? And I went through all this filmography, starting with most recent, just like, looking, scrolling through it, and I was like, no, I don't think you didn't see the leftovers. You you certainly didn't see the Charlie's Angels sequel. I assume. Nope. Um, like you didn't see this. So I was like, I don't think Mulholland Drive. It's like uh, I have seen Mulholland Drive, but, but so long ago like that you would remember, high school. right? And I was like, I don't think this is any, anything that you would have seen until oh, his third credit. Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion as the silent cowboy. You went, he's there the you cowboy go. and Romeo Michelle's like, all right, and now the whole so world annoyed. makes sense I was so to annoyed me. that I was like, of course, the last thing that I yeah. looked to say. Uh, and you'd ask me to look up what this actor that played Lewis uh, is Matt Ross, who is a very teeny tiny role in Face Off. He's one of John Travolta's, like the eight FBI team. So yeah. he's just there a lot. I liked him a lot in this movie. He's got a very fun vibe. And he would go on to be a director. He directed oh. uh, the movie Captain Fantastic with Viggo Mortensen that I know oh, many great. people like. Uh, and of course, Jean. Oh, Chloe Sevigny. Chloe He's also Sevigny. a good, good get. I'm or I think Boys Don't Cry was 1999. So as this film is coming out, she like just got an Oscar nomination for the this year is prior. The largest female part in the in the movie. Like, yeah. Insofar as like she's in the most scenes, probably has the most lines workout wise, you yeah. know? It's interesting that we I didn't mention it in the synopsis, but that we are cutting this this last scene with Christian Bale in the luncheon, yeah. we're cutting across with her, like snooping through his desk and finding his notebook of him, like all these disturbing drawings where it's like, okay, this at least is real. Exactly. If nothing else. But is that it? Is it just that he, but it's just like that the inner life, as he says, like it doesn't matter what's on the inside. I forget what the exact quote is, but it's just like, well, this is the actual inner life, no matter what the outer manifestations are. So yeah. this is, and also I like that it's a date book 
and it just go- gets more and more violent as it goes on. So it doesn't, yeah. it just, it doesn't, it starts out with actual just appointments and then goes right. on. And we see like the deterioration that we've seen over the movie mirrored in the date book. So we also know that that is real. The mental deterioration is there, you know, the, the way he's torturing himself and or others is like, at least they're on the page. You right. Know? Yeah. Chloe Sevigny said one of the reasons why she was attracted to the project was that she is a brother who works on Wall Street. So I don't know what about that fact made her excited to do the film if she was a kind of aware of the boys club nature and was interested in being a project that was like, oh, this is written and directed by women. This is clearly going to have a very specific point of view. Uh, Or if it was just to, I don't know, just mercilessly tease her brother about like, yeah, that's right. I'm an American psycho for all of your folks. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe she's like, I don't like my brother. Maybe. Christian Bale ripped off Tom Cruise for this and I don't like my brother. (laughs) And that's why we in Hollywood don't talk to anybody else. I don't know. Nor do I. Final thoughts, Amy Jo. Anything we haven't touched on? Any other small roles that popped out at you? Yeah, I love, like, where I think they do such a great job of, like, setting up the conceit of the film and the tone and everything is when he's just, because I want to fit in, is, like, so a commentary on, yes, his psychopathy, but also, like, these people, this place. And, you know, I had this conversation with a friend who works in wardrobe who was dating, this is several years ago, who was dating some guy who is like extreme wealth and works with extreme wealth, like all Mm. Upper East Side kind of stuff. And it was around the time that Trump was elected. And everyone's just like, you know, talking about like his suits are ill-fitting. He has all this money and all this power, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, no, apparently there's a certain kind of suit that you have to wear at like this kind of cut. If you, you know, it can't be more tailored because you have to know how much money you spend on the suit. You have to have X number of this kind of watches because people will notice if you're having the same watch every day, like that these are just the kind of things you have to do in order to be taken seriously in this world. And they become so important to the people in these worlds. And like, that's not exactly wall street, but it's exactly the kind of thing, you know, that Trump is name checked in the movie, you know? And it's just, it really threw things into a different light for me where it's like, you do not not even like we don't have the same values. You just don't, perceive the world in the same terms because what is important to you is yeah this this business card being like the right kind of weight and heft Mm. in order to say what you needed to say in order to prove that you exist and i feel like they set it up so well in like that kind of line like in these lines that they have which are like yes they are about this particular person being a psychopath but they are also like on isn't it kind of ridiculous that this is like the world that we've created that like drives so much of like commerce and trade in this country you know i don't know i just thought like it was really well constructed to like obviously it's like very obvious and yet like you say like someone could watch this film and just be like watching it for the plot and the vibe and not really necessarily like let me take away even though we have reagan in the final you know shots of the film i just think it's really really well set up to be like Oh, right. (laughs) Like I, what's actually being satirized isn't, it's not people who are like obsessed with Bundy and Gein and all of that, all of that, that would be more a contemporary thing. I think is that has, has, um, we've got yet another Dahmer thing on Netflix now we needed that, you know, but I think like what they're satirizing is like using that as the lens through which to look at money and finance and capital and, and wall street in general. And 
I don't know. I think it's real smart, and I liked it. <laughs> uh, I agree. Along with this, the film had various problems with designer labels during production. Saruti agreed to allow Christian Bale to wear their clothes, but not when the character was killing anyone. Which makes sense as to why he's fair. completely buck naked with that chainsaw. Uh, if you don't have to worry about what he's wearing, if it's just the shoes. Uh, Rolex agreed that anyone in the film could wear their watches, except for Bateman. Perry Ellis provided underwear at the last minute after Calvin Klein pulled out of the project. And Combe de Garçon refused to allow one of their overnight bags to be used to carry a corpse. So Jean-Paul Gaultier was used instead. And gets that name Gets that name And it is a fun little stinger <laughs> just a full blood trail going through the lobby yeah it's like patrick it's like where did you get that, that overnight, overnight bag, bag. jean paul gartier amy joe yes jeff what are you recommending this week well here's the deal we don't normally do plugs on this podcast but uh it's october and i have a show in november and if you're in the new york area <laughs> gee it'd be great if you'd come i'm doing a show called the brass menagerie on november 1st yes. at 54 below 9 30 p.m it's a tuesday night it is my tennessee williams solo show you know it's won awards at this point so basically i've been i've been validated and you should do the same by coming and seeing my show but um if you are listening to this after november 1st 2022 you can find some of it on youtube and i sure would appreciate your views is this pandering no it's just desperate begging come to my show darling it'll be a good time and that's what i'm recommending Jeff. I love it. Uh, I am going to recommend, as the film I mentioned earlier in regards to Sebastian Stan, the film uh, Fresh, which is a Hulu original, I believe. So if you don't have Hulu, I don't know if you can watch it anywhere else. Uh, directed by Mimi Cave and starring Daisy Edgar Jones of Normal People and Where the Crawdads Sing and the aforementioned Sebastian Stan. Uh, it is kind of just a bonkers horror romantic comedy at different points those it hits those three genres uh, i do think the less you know going in the better but i do recommend checking out the trailer because the trailer does a really good job of not saying too much and just giving you a good vibe of the film like it it spends a full half hour being like a weird little rom-com before being like eh, maybe we're a horror film uh and i had a grand old time with it and i think if you're looking for something a little offbeat and uh anchored by two great lead performances fresh is doing you right for this halloween month and that's what we're recommending this week. Da -da -da. Do you have a movie that you'd love for us to break down the casting of? Email us at analmoststarringatgmail.com and let us know. You can follow us on Instagram at andalmoststarring for all of our shenanigans. Until next time, I'm Jeff Ronan. I'm Amy Jo Jackson. And thanks for joining us to see who almost starred. Who almost starred.